Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Hagen Lister here at Word of Faith Outreach Center in Joaquin, Texas. If you'd like to join us in person, all of our service times, contact information, and a map to our physical location is on our website. That's www.woftx.com. You can also watch past live streams or watch us live on our Facebook page, WFTX. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. For some weeks, we've been, we've been talking about and preaching on uh, the partnership of the Holy Spirit. And uh, some of the things, I'm just going to do a little bit of a recap, and then we'll just kind of push forward and kind of wrap this up. Um, but um, some of the things that we've, we've talked about in talking about the Holy Spirit um, and I think that it's, it's worth getting, um, you know, um, talking about this because uh, we are a non-denominational church. We are a spirit-filled church and we have people that come from all different types of denominations here. And we, we love that and we're so uh, thankful for that. But in that, you know, um, because we come from a lot of different walks of life, we've heard a lot of different things, uh, especially about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, and, you know, some of the misnomers about the Holy Spirit, I like to kind of get those out of the way. For one... How many know the Holy Spirit's not an it? You know? It's not this ambiguous thing uh, that's a part of the kingdom of God. How many know the Holy Spirit is a, is, is a him? He is a part of the Godhead. Amen? He is God, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Just as much as part of the Holy, as the Trinity, as God the Father and God the Son. Uh, another thing that's kind of a misnomer is uh, that, and, and we get this from the scripture because, and we'll read it, read it tonight. But how um, when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And, and it's not wrong. I don't think that it's wrong to depict the Holy Spirit uh, in an image like a dove or anything like that. So I'm not speaking against that. But what I will say is the Holy Spirit's not a dove. Right? He is the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a way to describe the eloquence in which the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus. It was like a dove, you know, we've seen doves lighting on a, um, on a telephone pole and, and most of us rednecks around here, that does more than they make us think of the Holy Spirit, makes us think about shooting it, right? And just the way, I, every time I go down the road and if a dove flies up and lights on a telephone pole, I mean, I just want to, you know, it's just like a knee jerk reaction, right? So anyway, just, just messing around, y'all you know, lighten up a little bit. Um, the other thing that is, is confusing, I think, about the Holy Spirit, and I think it has come from Spirit-filled churches is how do you know the Holy Spirit is not a tongue? The Holy Spirit is not tongues, and uh, you know. And and I'm not saying that tongue. I'm not. I'm not preaching against tongues. Matter of fact, I'm for it. But what I am saying is the Holy Spirit is not tongues, right? And this goes hand in hand with that last statement, and that is the Holy Spirit is not weird. I think we've talked about that. How many know uh, my saying? The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. Right? People have made the stigma of the Holy Spirit weird because they have done weird things and then blamed it on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made me do it. Right? And, uh, and, and I won't get into all that. I've, I kind of did that last couple of weeks. You can go back and listen to the messages on that. The other thing that I think people uh, get a misnomer about the Holy Spirit is they think that the Holy Spirit is going to take control of them and make them do strange things. The Holy Spirit's going to take control of them and make them do strange things. And I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit has never made me do anything. Amen. Now I've yielded to the Holy Spirit and I've, and, and I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I've yielded to the Holy Spirit and prayed in tongues. I've yielded to the Holy Spirit and, and allowed him to pray through me. I've yielded to those things, but, but I, I can't ever say that the Holy Spirit made me do something that I didn't want to do or anything like that, or made me do something weird. And what we're really, if you'll stick with me tonight, we'll really see how kind of far off we've gotten um, and we've, we've categorized and we've, we've pigeonholed the works and the gifts of the Holy Spirit into these strange categories because the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird and people did weird things in the name of the Holy Spirit, right? Just stick with me if you're, if, if you're, you're a little bit like, I don't know where he's going with this. I promise you, um, I feel like the main thing that needs to be brought to this subject is balance. Amen. Um, the Holy Spirit is one of the three members of the, of the Godhead. He is God, the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 7, it says this, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, 
the Father, the Word, which we know the Word is who? The Word is Jesus, right? How the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, that's what uh, John, the first chapter, says. The Father, there's three that bear witness in heaven. It's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the most important part about that statement. It says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, right? And these three are one. So three uh, separate functions of a triune God. And the, the, there's many examples in the Word of God of seeing the Trinity, if we can just shorten it up like that, working at the same time. Uh, but one of these examples is found in Matthew, the third chapter. So if you want to go to Matthew, the third chapter, starting in the 13th verse, and we really just kind of talked about it, but it's Jesus's baptism of John the Baptist was John was Jesus's cousin. And that's what's kind of amazing to me. Um, I'm sure John knew something was different about Jesus, but I'm sure Jesus knew something's different about John because John's ministry started before Jesus's ministry and they were cousins and John was out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing lots of people in repentance. They're, re they're coming to John out in the wilderness and he's a wild man and they're, they're, they're getting baptized under repentance. They're repenting and going down and he's baptizing them in water. But there's nothing that really says that, that, that John really ever picked up on the fact that Jesus was the son of God. And a matter of fact, it, it was a little shocking, I think, to John when, they, when he saw Jesus coming. And so it picks up here, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized of him. And John tried to prevent him saying, see, that's what makes you think. John knew something was up with Jesus because he says, I need to be baptized by you. Of course, you know, John was the first human being to recognize the anointing that was on Christ. You remember what happened? When, when um, Mary comes and, and she tells her, uh, you know, uh, she tells John's mom that, you know, I've, I've um, she's coming to tell him that I've, I've been, uh, you know, I've been, the, the Lord has, has given me a child. And when she comes to say that, the Bible says that, that John leapt in his mother's womb. When he was in the womb, he wept when Mary walks into the room. And so here's John and he's baptizing people. Jesus comes out there and he says, um, he's, John, John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to baptize me. And uh, verse 15, and it says, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to, to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so I want you to see in this picture more than anything, I want you to see the Trinity at work at the same time, right? So what, what do you have? You have Jesus, which we know is God, the son, and he's coming to be baptized. He's being baptized of John. When he comes up out of the water, we see God, the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And then as the Holy Spirit descends upon him, we hear the voice of God, the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And it's not recorded that Jesus did anything in his earthly ministry until after this day of baptism when he was anointed by God, but with the Holy Spirit. And some of you may disagree with this. I don't know, but just stick with me. Just, just hear me out. Do some studying yourself. But the miracle that is Jesus is that he was all God, yet he was all man. The miracle that is Jesus is he was all God and all man. You say, how do you explain that? The same way I explain the Trinity. I don't know. Can we agree on that? How can God be three separate yet three the same? How can that? I don't know because he's God. But we just saw God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit playing these three roles. Yet they're all God. 
And so Jesus is all God, yet the miracle of Jesus is that he was all man when he came to earth. And, and I'll, I'll give you some scripture. When I say I don't know, I'll give you some scripture. It's hard for my mind to wrap around that, but I'll give you some scripture. He laid aside his God side and became a man anointed by God. He was all God. And yet when he came to earth, he laid aside his God side and became a man anointed by God. Stick with me. Philippians, the second chapter, five through eight. Watch this. We're going to read it in the uh, New King James. and I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It's a little bit more clear. But it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now that, uh, if you really dig and, and you see that, you can, you can understand what's being said there. But I, I like the way the Amplified says it because it just goes ahead and, and explains it for you. It says, who, although being one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which makes God God talking about Jesus. He said it didn't, he did not think, it, think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. Verse seven is very key. It says, but he stripped himself, he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. So as to assume the guise or the disguise of a servant or a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. God was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further. As if God stepping aside from his deity and becoming a human being wasn't lowering himself enough. That's what this is saying. He went lower and he humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme death, even the death of the cross. What I want you to get here tonight is that Jesus did what he did on this earth in his earthly ministry, not as God, but he did it as a man anointed of God. He did it as a man anointed. You have to get this picture. He didn't do it as God. He came as a human being anointed of God. Now, what makes Jesus, Jesus is that he was a man that never sinned. Can you even imagine that? That's what makes him special. That's what makes him the spotless lamb. You say, oh no, he was God and that's why he didn't sin. Listen, if God could have paid for your sins as God, then God would have never stripped himself and came as Jesus. Think about that. If God could have paid for your sins as God, why would he have stripped himself and came and be birthed as a human and die as a human to pay for your sins? He would have just did what he did. Because that's not how it worked. There had to be a human sacrifice. Humanity had to pay for sin. Am I getting too deep or is this, this helping you here? And, and, and you're going you're gonna to wonder why I'm even explaining this. It has a lot to do with who you are supposed to be at, uh, while here on the earth. Let's just, let's just keep going. So... Jesus did what he did on this earth, not as God, but as man anointed by God. And I'll, I'll show you this in Acts the 10th chapter, 38th verse. It says how God anointed, and I think this is key. It's not by accident that it's in the Bible this way. How God anointed, it does not say Jesus of heaven. Does it? It doesn't say how God anointed Jesus of the kingdom of God. It doesn't say how God anointed Jesus, the son of God. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Because that's where he was from as a man. 
It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, why in the world would God need any more power? Because Jesus is the son of God, right? But when he stripped himself of his God side and came down as a human being, he was completely sinless. I believe that Jesus never sinned, even as a man. But on this day right here, when he was baptized of John, that's the reason why you never see Jesus or it's never recorded that Jesus did any miracles up until the point where he was baptized. Think about that. The reason why is because he had not yet been anointed of the Holy Spirit. Now, he had been conceived of the Holy Spirit, but he had not been anointed of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until John baptized him, the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove. The, uh, the God of heaven, uh, the Father God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes right out into the wilderness being led of the Holy Spirit out there to be tempted of Satan. He's out there 40 days, 40 nights being tempted of Satan. He, he completely passes all those tests and, and, and destroys all those temptations. And when he walks out from the desert, it's the first thing that he does. He goes to church and he opens up up the Bible to the book of Isaiah, or he opens up the scrolls to the book of Isaiah, and he says, goes right to Isaiah 61, and he says, the Lord has anointed me. He's arrived. He's on the scene as Jesus, the Son of God, anointed of the Holy Spirit. And watch what he's, what he's there to do. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus did what he did as a man anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. He did what he did as a man anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it such, so much more of a miracle. So why is this important to you and I? Because we're, we're called by Jesus himself. We, me and you, are called to carry on the works of Jesus. Well, you, you, you know that, right? And me and you are called to carry. How many know where Jesus is right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So although we would like to say, Jesus, do it, Jesus, do it. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and say, church, do it, church, do it, church, do it. I'll prove this to you. We're called to carry on the works of Jesus. And if we're going to do what Jesus did, we'll have to have what Jesus had. And Jesus had a partnership with the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's look at this, this road to Pentecost here. The Gospel of John gives a great look into the way Jesus led his disciples to the day of Pentecost. So go, go to John, the uh, 14th chapter. And we'll skip around a little bit in John. Uh, and, and the main reason why is because, um, for time's sake, we're just going to take a little journey here in John. So go to John 14, verse 12, and we'll read down to uh, 17. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for the transition. Okay? So up until this point, the disciples had followed Jesus for three years, roughly. They have left everything. They believed everything he said. They followed him to, you know, the best that they could. They've watched him do so many miracles that the Bible says, John actually says, he records this, that there wasn't enough libraries in all the world, enough books in all those libraries to record everything they saw him do in that three-year time period. And so they're all expecting because of, I mean, all of us would. We would, we would expect if we followed Jesus, the Son of God, around while he's anointed, fully anointed of the Holy Spirit, watching him do the miraculous things he did, just the things that he, they allow us to know about, the, the, the blinded eyes being opened, the cripples being, being healed, the, the, the demon possessed being cast out, all the things, walking on water, all the things that, that we saw, uh, that, that we're allowed to know about in the Bible, just those things, if we had just witnessed those things, 
You know, we, we would go, I'm sticking with Jesus. That's where I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a part of his kingdom. He's going to set up a kingdom. And that's what they really thought. They thought he was setting up an earthly kingdom. They thought he was going to overthrow the Jews. They thought he was going to overthrow um, the, the Roman Empire. They thought he was going to overthrow all of that. And they were going to be the ones who had been with him from the beginning. And so when he sets up his kingdom and he overthrows all of them, they're going to be his right-hand men. And they're excited about that. Well, he gives them probably the biggest letdown they've ever had. Just after three years, he begins to talk to them about leaving. They're like, wait a minute, where, where are you going? I mean, you've, you've gotten us to follow you. We've left our families. We've left our, our, you know, our livelihoods. And we had big, a lot of us had big fishing companies. I mean, these, these guys weren't, weren't down on the creek fishing with cane poles. I mean, these guys had ships. They're making lots of money. Tax collectors, doctors, professional men. And this is what Jesus begins to tell them. He's beginning to give them direction for when, he, when he's crucified and, and, and buried and raised again. And when he ascends, he's beginning to give them some instruction of what's going to happen after this. And verse 12, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. So does this say that everyone will do the works of Jesus? No, it just says the ones who believe in him and not just in him, but the works that he does. He says, then that person, that man, that woman will do those works also. And then he goes on and he puts an exclamation point on that. And he says, not only will you do the works that I do, but you'll do actually greater works than these. And it says, because I'm going to my father. Verse 13, it says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Verse 15, it says, and if you love me. I don't know, that, Jesus is like, he can put on a pretty good guilt trip, you know, if you love me, right? Anybody ever say, well, if you love me, you would, right? Now, Jesus didn't put on a guilt trip, this is fact. He says, and if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep the things that I've commanded you to do. And I will pray that the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive but because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, but you know him because he dwells with you, but he will be in you. And so he's saying, I'm leaving but I'm praying that the Father will send another helper. Of course, you guys probably know this, but if you study out that word another, it means someone just like me. So not, 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 a, not a half-rate helper, not, not somebody kind of like me, not somebody that will just do some things, but somebody exactly like me, another helper just like me. And he says, but there's going to be a twist to this helper because unlike me, He's not going to be just with you. He's going to be in you. And he says, and you know this person already. You know who he is already because he's with you right now. How was he with them right now? He was with them because Jesus was anointed of him. Now, Jesus had the 100% full anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's not been another man, another human being that walked around with the 100% full tank Holy Spirit, right? Right? Not like Jesus. Jesus was the full embodiment of the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit. We, as the, the, the um, collective body of Christ, the Bible actually says that we all have a, um, a portion of faith, right? That every man's been given a measure. And so uh, we're not the, a, a, a singularly, me and you, I, I don't have the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Christy doesn't have the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But you know, that's why the Bible says we're two should agree is touching anything. Why? Because her part and my part and your part, when we begin to come together as the body of Christ, the more portions of the Holy Spirit gather together. And that's why where two or more are gathered, there he is also. Amen? Is that making any sense to you? So skip on down to uh, verse 23. 
And it says, and Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him or with him. He who does not love me does not keep my, my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. In verse 25, it says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, and then he goes ahead and says who he is. So before he just says another helper, but right here he, he calls him by name. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. And that's why also in the word of God, it says, you have no need of a teacher for the Holy One lives on the inside of you and teaches you all things. Don't ever try to read your Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll actually help you read your Bible and, and begin to illuminate those things. Now go to um, chapter 16 of, of, of the gospel of John. Just taking a little trip here. Verse, uh, let's see. Yeah, verse seven. So he's still talking about this. Just kind of skipping some things. You can go back and read it. But it says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That's kind of hard. That's been kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around because at first, because I thought, man, what's more beneficial than having Jesus, the son of God here on earth? What, what, how could that be more? I mean, my goodness, how many of you would love if I just, I put out on Facebook today, like, hey, we got a guest speaker tonight. Jesus, the son of God is going to be in the house tonight, present speaking. If you're sick, he'll heal you. If you're, you know, demon possessed, he'll, he'll, he'll deliver you. You know, if you got one arm missing, he'll grow it out for you. You know, I mean, all kinds, if you're caught in adultery, he'll forgive you. You know, all kinds of, we just do all, man, I, I bet you if people actually believed it, it, it would be packed in here tonight, right? I mean, how much more beneficial could it be than have Jesus in bodily form, God in bodily form? And Jesus says, I know you guys are sad about this, but you're, you don't realize it's actually going to be more beneficial for you if I go. Because if I don't go, he can't come. I want you to think about this for a minute. If Jesus had never left, if he had never been crucified, he could have a great earthly ministry to a portion of people. Because he could only be in one place at one time. Right? And if you needed healing from him or you needed something from, from God and, and Jesus was the one who was God in the flesh, anointed of God, I guess we're going get to get on a plane and fly out to Israel. I, I need to, I'm going to stand in line for three years because that's how long the wait time is. I'll get my number, 755 millionth. We're going to camp out for as long as it takes until I get to Jesus. That's not very efficient, is it? Jesus says, if I go, it's going to create a transition where if you'll believe in me, the same Holy Spirit that I have in me, that anoints me, that makes me who I am, will be available to be in you. And if he's in you, if God's in you, remember what he said? You can ask what you will and it shall be done. Go to verse 12 of, of, of the 16th chapter. I read that one already, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Sorry about that. So moving along, this is... This is um, this is pre-death, burial, and resurrection, what he just said. Now we're going to move into after the death, burial, and resurrection. And this is one of the last things that, that Luke records in his gospel. Uh, Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke actually wrote the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is really kind of a continuance of Luke's gospel to a degree. Because uh, it switches over from the gospels of Jesus while Jesus was here on the earth 
to the acts of the church. That's why it's called Acts. And so really, you know, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But a lot of people said it would probably have been better if it had been Matthew, Mark, John, Luke. Because Luke, Acts picks up with Luke's writings. But right here, one of the last things that Luke records in the Gospel of Luke, verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 46, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it, is, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all these things. Verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. Now, a lot, of, a lot has happened to Jesus from the time that we were talking about what, what John was recording him saying, hey guys, I, I gotta go. It's more needful for me to go because if I don't go, then he can't come. And you know, he's preparing them for all this. Well, but from that moment to what is being recorded by Luke here, there's been a lot happened. He's been in the, in the garden and he's been arrested and he's been beaten and he's been put on trial. He's been nailed to a cross. He's been you know, in the grave for three days. He's been resurrected. There's been a lot happened. And Jesus is still talking about the promise. He's back from the dead and he's talking about the promise. So Luke continues with his eyewitness account here in the book of Acts. So if you go to Acts, the first chapter, because what did, it, what did Jesus say in Luke? What did Luke record him saying? He said, your witness of these things, behold, I send the promise of my father, but tarry, or mean, it means wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high. He says, so the promise is coming. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to wait until you are endowed with power, until you have power poured out on you. You know, I mean, we can all get, when somebody tells you something like that, that's never happened before, we can all get these preconceived ideas of how that's going to happen, Right? You got to think, I always like putting myself in the shoes of people that are in the Bible and think if, if Jesus, if I had just seen Jesus brutally murdered and I actually, you know, left him, everybody left him, but John and, and the Marys, right? And everybody left him. And actually one of the 12 was the one that deceived him. And, and they just kind of went back to their, what they were doing. So Jesus had to gather them all up. He spent some time on earth with them. He's talking to them and he says, listen, you need to go to Jerusalem. And you need to wait for this power. Remember I was telling you about the promise before all this stuff happened. I know a lot of dramas happened between then and now. But you need to go wait in Jerusalem for the promise. And you're going to be endowed with power. Up until this point, they had had no power. They'd only witnessed Jesus operate in power. But he's telling them to go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, this helper, that is going to allow them, if they'll believe, that they believe in him and they believe the works that he did. He says, if you'll go wait, you're going to have this power put on you and you're going to do the works that I did and you're actually going to do greater works than I did. So go wait. Well, this picks up right here in the book of Acts and it says, and being assembled together. So they obeyed him. They went to Jerusalem and waited says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So one question, who does the baptizing in the Holy Spirit? Who does the baptizing in the Holy Spirit? John the Baptist said this. So we read one account, um, I believe from Matthew. But John's account of the day that Jesus was baptized says this. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending. Now this is John. This is Jesus' cousin. And John is saying I did not know who the Christ was going to be. But the Father told me, this is how John knew that Jesus was who he was. Because he says right here, he says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was the one whom the Holy Spirit descended on, so that makes Jesus qualified to make these statements to his disciples about waiting to receive the Holy Spirit. Because three years prior, he is the one that is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And actually, the word says the Holy Spirit in fire. See, John was baptizing in water under repentance. But Jesus was sent to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. And that's what's going on here. So Acts 1, 8 through, uh, 1, 8 through 9 says this. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall have wild and crazy church meetings where wigs are flying and people are doing crazy things. Uh, that must be my spirit-filled Bible. I'm sorry. Let me, let me get back in, into the denominational Bible. I'm just messing with y'all. Chill out. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. This is where we've gotten it wrong. I'm not saying that I haven't been in a place where the Holy Spirit has not filled a room and there's been so much joy there. It's, it's, it's supernatural joy. It's supernatural peace. And man, it's wonderful when that happens. And nobody goes away going, man, that was weird. Everybody goes away and go, my goodness, I got refreshed tonight. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can bring refreshment to our life. It's what most of us Christians are missing. And why we look for refreshment in all these different things. Because really, in the, in the Old Testament says that this is the rest and this is the refreshment. It says, he will speak to his people. The Old Testament says, it's a prophecy about the Holy Spirit. He says, he will speak to his people with stammering lips and this will be the rest and this will be the refreshing. And so I, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a place where people begin to experience joy and laughter? It gets unstuffy, right? But nobody would go out of there saying it was weird. Where we've gone wrong is if people really did pursue worship and praise and prayer and the Holy Spirit came in and, and refreshed everybody and everybody got filled with the joy of the Lord and peace that surpasses understanding. And, you know, people re reacted to that joy and people reacted to that peace. And just like every person in here would react differently if something good happened to you. Right? If I stood up here tonight and I said, I'm writing everybody million dollar checks and they will cash. Some of y'all would do backflips. Some of y'all would say, yee -hoo. You would have different reactions, right? All of you, but I guarantee you, nobody would have no reaction. Why? Because of a natural joy of knowing that this is going to take care of some natural problems. In the same way, when the Holy Spirit comes in in a real way, because people are really truly magnifying God and glorifying God. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Well, how is he, where, who, what part of the Godhead is going to inhabit the praises of people? The father is not going to come down. He's seated in heaven. God, the son is not going to come down because he's seated at his right hand. God, the Holy Spirit is the part of God that is here in the earth right now that Jesus sent back that he prayed for. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in a place where God is being praised and God is being honored, it, it, creates supernatural joy, creates supernatural peace. And people respond to that in different ways. The problem has been when it truly happened, men liked the response and they, 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 they falsely attached their preaching they falsely attached their ability to lead worship. They falsely attached their actions to the result of the Holy Spirit coming in and blessing people. And so you know what they did? 
When I sang that song, that way, people responded with dancing. People responded with shouting. People responded with lifting of hands. People responded with joy. I like that. We're doing that song next week. And they put a formula to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? People remembered how it felt the week before when they did that song. And people go, oh, I like this song. And their hands automatically went up, which is fine. I'm not against your hands going up. I'm not against any of those things. But what I am against is the move, when people begin to call a move of the Spirit, and then you have people, I've done it before. I was a young, dumb worship leader at one time, youth pastor. And I've sat up there before and been mad at people because they didn't respond to my worship leading. I've been mad before because you won't amen me. And you sit there all quiet. But guess what? It's not my responsibility to make you respond. Am I making any sense? This has been the fallacy. Because when you want a response more than you really want a move of the Holy Spirit, you begin to manipulate people rather than just worshiping God and rather than just preaching the gospel and letting the Holy Spirit do what he does. And it's put a bad name on being spirit-filled because men have tried to manipulate the situation because they liked the fact that their face was attached to a move, that their name was attached to a great service. Well, I was in a service with Brother Hagin one time, and I tell you what, it was the greatest. Ooh. No, no, take my name off that. I was in the service with the Lord and we worshiped God. And when we worshiped God, he fell in that place. And the hurt in my heart was healed because of the joy of the Lord. That's the move of the Holy Spirit. But if I come in the next week and I, and I, and I try to, I try to uh, produce a feeling, it's not genuine anymore. And then when it doesn't work on you, then I have, to, I have to resort to pushing and prodding and forcing people. And you know what? Some people are either so kind or so weak that they'll go, you know, he just needs a little pick-me-up today. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He just needs a little something today. And then you, it's, a, it's a false move. And then the more that happens and the more that happens and the more that happens, you wind up where we are today where everybody is deathly scared of anything that is called spirit-filled because they're afraid of getting into something weird or manipulative. When it was never about that in the first place. That joy, that peace, that refreshment is a byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not the whole thing. The purpose of being filled and being baptized of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus said it was for. And that was to be power, to be a witness. And I'm fully convinced that the reason why there's not great outpourings of the Holy Spirit today is because the people who are wanting outpourings of the Spirit are wanting the byproduct and they are not wanting it for what it is for. And it's to give you power to be a witness. Not to feel good and get goosebumps on a Sunday morning. Although I'm all for those. But it's not what it's for. If being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to be a witness for Christ. And it just makes you, I'm going to say something strong here. But it just makes you a junkie for an emotional experience in a church service. You're missing the point. We have produced junkies. Give me another emotional experience, Pastor. I can't. That's not in my wheelhouse. Oh, y'all sing so good. Good. God gave us a gift and we're trying to use it. But it's to glorify God, not to give you an emotional experience. My preaching and my teaching is meant to push you and drive you into doing the will of God. Not to make you feel good. Although I hope it does make you feel good. I hope you leave out here encouraged, not beat down. 
But we've got to get back to, I, I, I talked to a, a friend of mine the other day and they have gone through a journey, I'm telling you, and, and they're still in it. And, I, and I've talked to this person in different stages of their life and man, they had, they had almost gotten completely and utterly confused and, and, and got to a point where just rejecting church altogether. Been in the ministry, been in churches, been in this, that, and the other. And he told me, he said, me and my family are getting back to our roots. Me and my family are getting back to the basis. I said, good, that's where you need to be. That's where we need to be. Who cares about all the other? Let's get back to the simplicity of I am saved. And the Lord wants me filled with his spirit to be a witness, period. End of story. And he's called me to be a part of the church because when I'm a part of the church, I'm a functioning member of the body of Christ. And, and, and together we can do great things for the body of Christ because Jesus said, those who believe in me and the works that I do, they will do those works and greater. And I need power to do that. Matter of fact, I need the same power that he had. Matter of fact, that's the only power that's available. Any other power is counterfeit. Am I preaching okay? And when they... Let's see, did I even finish all the way through four? Where was I at? You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they, were, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. Jesus is gone at this point. Jesus has left the building. The next time we will see Jesus on this earth, the ones who believe in him will be going with him. I believe it's not many, many, many days or years from now. That'll be the rapture. Amen. It's calculated that there were around now. So he tells them this. It's calculated that there was around 10 days that they waited in that upper room in Jerusalem where he told them to wait and tarry. It's calculated as about 10 days between the day that he left and the day that the Holy Spirit fell. I would surmise that if God, if Jesus asked us to wait for the promise until you're endowed with, on power, with power from on high, today, I don't know that people would wait 10 hours, much less 10 days. Because that don't sound like a long time. 10 days or 10 days. Have you ever gone camping with people for 10 days? 10 days is a long time to hang out in one room with people and pray. I've known people that quit praying on me in 10 minutes. These people prayed until they got in one accord and it was 10, calculated around 10 days. 120 of them is what is said. 10 days. Go to Acts, the second chapter. I'm going to run out of time. Has this been okay? So Acts, the second chapter, verse one through four. And it says, so, so 10 days of this, and it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now what people think is, because we call it Pentecost or Pentecostals, they think it was because that, that the whole tongues thing and everything is, is, is indicative of Pentecost. But really, that was, that was a festival. That was one of their festivals. Pentecost was one of their festivals. And what it means is when that, they, were, they were using that as telling you a time frame of when this happened. The Holy Spirit was, was poured out when the day of Pentecost had fully come. When, it, when, the, when the festival was basically fully mature, it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. So they were still there. And more importantly, they were all in one accord. Meaning they were all together of, of one mind, of one heart. They were going after the thing that Jesus said, the promise that was, that was coming to them. And it says, and at that moment it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now, now here's, here's what I want to bring out. Just a small little nugget for you. If you're, if you're in this valley, we get in these valleys from time to time. But we'll get in a valley where God gives us a promise of something. 
But we're unwilling to wait for the suddenly. God gave him a promise, I don't know how long. I mean, he started talking about this before he went to the cross. And then he goes to the cross and then he's, he's gone for three days and then, he, and then he comes back to life and then he spends, you know, somewhere around 40 days with him or whatever. Then he ascends to heaven. He says, go wait for this promise. So there, there's days and days and days and then there are 10 days by themselves. There's not a, uh, from what we can tell, there's, you know, Jesus doesn't pop through the wall and go, y'all just keep waiting. There's none of that. It'd be like us. It'd be like us just in here by ourselves, going, well, guys, he said to pray. Oh, we're just going to pray. He said to wait, just to tarry. Keep tarrying, keep waiting. I know me, I'd be like, I'm getting hungry. I guess time, like, he needs to come on with whatever he's coming on with. Or I'd be like, yeah, I feel the power, I'm gone. Right? Ten days. But then it says suddenly. I don't know about you. If I'd been waiting that long for this promise and I've been hearing about this promise, I might get, I might get bored between the time he said it and the time it happens. I might get discouraged between the time he said it and the time it happens. So as just a little nugget word for you, if God's given you a word, don't give up before the suddenly. Because it can happen like that. And that's what happens to them right there. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I know the, that, that, verse, that series of scriptures makes people nervous, but it's in the Bible. It's in your Bible. Go find all the translations you want to find. It's in there. It's, it's, it's something Jesus said. It, he approved of it. Every early Christian from then on approved of it and actually encouraged it. And actually, it was the norm. The first Christians were spirit-filled, and it was a separate experience from salvation. The infillment, the baptism, the empowerment that came from receiving the promise of the Father was seen as a necessity in serving God. In today's world, you have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, not simply what you know about church. Acts 4, 7 through 8 says, And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. I go down to verse 13 of Acts 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and they were untrained men and they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I'm going to say something else pretty strong, but the reason what the world has so much to say against the church is because we're not giving them anything that they can refute. These men wanted to string up Peter. But because of the power, they couldn't say anything against it. We've, we're not bold anymore. And I, I'm working on this in my life. We're not bold anymore. We're not sure of who we are anymore. Because we're trying to be liked by the world. Last scripture, go to... Acts, the fourth chapter, 23rd verse. Because these guys got, they were, they were performing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. They got detained. They almost got killed. But they couldn't refute them, so they let them go. And it says, and being let go, they went to their own companions, meaning they went back to their own church. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of this earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. 
Now, Lord, look on their, on their threats and grant to your servants that which uh, with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. I want you to see right here the picture-perfect church service. They were in there rejoicing because people from their church had went out and did miraculous things in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to a point where they got detained and almost probably killed. But because they couldn't say anything against it, speak anything against it, refute what had been done, they let them go. And when they let them go, they went back and they all gathered together and they all rejoiced because of what God had done in, the, in spite of what the world tried to come against them. And they, they all rejoiced because of the boldness that the Holy Spirit gave them, because of the power the Holy Spirit gave them. And it says, and as they did that, then the place was shaken. Churches are not shaken anymore because we're here all to get an experience rather to magnify and glorify God for what he did through us the week previous. Can I say that again? We want another experience. And the place is not shaken anymore because we're just coming to get more and more experiences where these people were out there being bold with the word of God being bold to lay their hands on people when they were sick, being bold to do the things in the name of Jesus. And when they got in trouble by the world, they got released, they come back and they celebrated to the point where the Holy Spirit shook the place. They had the service that we want because they had the right motive. I, I, want, I want services where the place gets shaken. I don't know about you. I want services where the, where the Lord shakes me out of my complacency. But until we desire the thing that they desired, and that was to preach the name of Jesus boldly. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the name of Jesus boldly. Amen. Boldness comes from more than what you know in your head. Boldness comes from who you know you are in Christ. The infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit awakens you to his power, his authority, his boldness, and causes you to be a force for the kingdom. Last statement, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if his disciples and the apostles and then the average ordinary men and women of that day needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the plans and the purposes of God for their life, what makes us think that we're so special that we don't need it? I need him. I need him. I need, the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to stand up here and preach to you. Why? Because I just don't want to fill your head with biblical knowledge. I want to be able to preach with the words of the Holy Spirit that go deeper than our thought processes, that go into our hearts and cause us to be the men and women that God's called us to be. Amen? The powerful church. Not the complacent church. The powerful church. A church that... That, that really makes an impact on the world around us. Amen? And it doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be weird. It should be so bold and so powerful that people can't refute it. I, I don't understand what happened there, but you know, I can't say nothing against it because that, I've known that guy and he was blind and now he sees. You know, I, I don't really like the fact that it, that it happened through, through that person or, or that church, but you know what? That, that person was crippled and now they're walking. I can't really say nothing against it. You know, I don't really know what happened right there, but you know, I know that couple right there was destined for divorce and God put them back together. You know, I don't really know what happened there, but the, I know that man right there was, was, a, was an alcoholic and everybody had turned him away and he wasn't even uh, allowed to be around his family anymore, but now he serves God. The power of God and the boldness that, that the Holy Spirit will bring upon your life will create situations that will help you magnify and glorify God and bring back life to you. Amen.
Again, thanks for joining us today. We hope that this podcast blessed you. Uh, If you'd like to contact us, all of our contact information or come see us, uh, all of our location information is on our website, www.woftx.com. We hope to see you soon.